0: Howdy, welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. Scott Linden here, your guide to the Uplands. Or at least people who know more about it than I do, and that's a good thing. Of course, you'd all qualify for that as well. Anyway, great show in store for you. We're talking to Todd Agnew of Craney Hill Kennels, Spaniel Training But there will be something of interest to every breed and every breed owner because we're talking about the uplands. So if you're a Labrador guy or a Springer guy, it doesn't matter. And then all sorts of other dog care and shooting tips from the real world that are relevant to everybody. So hang around for that. But that's not all. We'll organize our rigs, well, as much as we can for this season. I'm already in that mode. I'll tell you more about it later. And then you will share how you celebrate a hunt, what you put in the cooler and then in your mouth after a successful day of, fe- they're all successful. I shouldn't say it that way. Every day a field. Is a successful day. I don't care what you say about how many birds are in the bag. So we'll celebrate our celebration. And it's all made possible by Sage and Breaker gun care products, pointer shotguns, Mid Valley Clays and Shooting School, True Lock Choke Tubes, MidwayUSA.com, Proplan Sport from Purina, and High Viz Shooting Systems. Well, you know the phrase, happy wife, happy life. It's true for dogs as well, but around here it starts with all the chores. And I am, my list just keeps getting longer, maybe yours too. This time of year, um, maybe the fishing, maybe the kids' soccer games get in the way, but we're trying to get ahead of the curve so that in the fall we have a little bit more free time. Yeah. Well, that's the theory, and it seems to be working. But the happy life part is really coming true. I'm working with Flick. Uh, Most days of the week, he's getting bird exposures. When it's too hot and dry, I try to avoid it. It's just a a recipe for disaster. But most of the time, we'll get a bird or two in front of him. And I have forgotten, and, and I've talked about this before, and maybe you know it. If you do a lot of bird work with your dog... You notice what a good mood he is in the rest of the day and even the next day. And I, I don't think dogs have a lot of long-term memory. They have some, obviously, or we couldn't train them. But I think he realizes that uh, the human is the bringer of birds. The clairvoyant knows where they are. And if I just trust him and suck up to him, I'm going to get another bird contact. Yeah, he becomes a little bit more cooperative. He pays a little bit closer attention. Maybe there's a little bit more desire to please. And I thank my pigeons. Oh, and then the wild quail we have out here for all of that. So um, there's a lesson in that. If you have birds or if you have access to birds of one sort or another, then um, see if it works for you too. Speaking of working for you, yeah, my favorite subject. on On the social media a few days ago, I put up a picture of my my own beer. I brew my own once in a long while. Uh, this one I called Puppy Pale Ale, and I have a wonderful uh, picture on the label. It's my my wife is an abstract painter, so she painted a uh, portrait, if you will, of Flick, and it's it's hilarious. If you want to look at it, you'll see she she tends to capture the, his. All of my dogs, I'm lucky enough to, I'm looking at three of them now. I'm looking at three versions of uh, a wire hair portraits that are quite abstract, but you could still tell they're dogs. Anyway, she captures their primary characteristics. And then there is Flick in the background staring at me. (laughs) And I asked the question, hunt over, dogs watered, guns put up, time for a tall, cold one, or a Petey single malt. What's your post hunt libation? Oh man, that was a topic that was worth discussing. That's for darn sure. Um Lance Larson. Yes, and by the way, thank you, Lance. I used both of your ale horn tumblers. Thank you for carving them. And in fact the one with flick on the on the outside is uh is in my new hunting rig. Anyway, no I do not drink and drive. But anyway, Lance says uh, bourbon and coke sitting in a chair between two my two dogs yeah that might be the perfect actually the perfect setting felton jenkins yeah felton i remember the days uh, six pack of that famous beer from quote france unquote rainier sacre bleu i met the guy remember if you're old enough to remember the guy who was the range the border guard in the rainier commercials Did a project with him many years ago. His first name was Dick. I don't remember the rest. Uh, Gary Forrest says, time to reflect on the day with some eagle rare and my pups chilling beside me. You know, I detect a trend here. Jay Shires says, they always have yingling. Man, I get a yingling whenever I go to the Midwest just because I can't get it anywhere else. Although I can get some pretty cool stuff. Uh, In fact, I'm I'm also partial to a... uh, the only 13-year-old single malt scotch I've ever seen, Craigalaki. If you find it, grab it just for that alone. But it's a pretty good, well-balanced, a little peat, but a little bit of everything else. It's a side style. Um, Jay also has a little bit of everything, Tennessee whiskey, bourbon. He's kind of a bartender, Jay. Good job. Uh, Ray Kernett myself i like to put a couple long necks on ice nothing like a cold one don't rub it in after chasing wild ringnecks in eastern washington yeah absolutely steve selvig you know you you can pick your nose and you can pick your friends but i'd rather pick your friends j steve hunts with a group of bourbon connoisseurs yes indeed but when he's supplying it's four roses you know that's not so bad there are people who think four roses is a pretty darn good drink larry davenport also smart whatever my hunting partner is pouring usually rum and uh i've never heard of this one i'm not a rum guy ron Sakapa xo or woodford reserve bourbon yeah i'm also good with that kyle broadfoot a hoppy ipa Right after, yeah, got to rehydrate, et cetera, et cetera. Good bourbon for me and a beer for Archie, says Michael Augello. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to start reading my reading my wearing glasses. Oh, yeah, and then just uh, a lesson to everybody, of course. Um, Carlos, Carlos Lopo, Lopez says, an ice-cold Coke, because usually he has a bit of driving to do. Yep, good on you hrch uh wildfire deacon says bud light the past 40 years this year coors light <laughs> uh, virgil's root beer is Stillwater dave's uh libation of choice uh david colner has an entire uh, matrix if he's hunting brookies and grouse it's four roses browns and doodles woodford double oaked rainbows and stocked pheasants maker's mark and lightning trout it is george dickle would you call me a little bit strange if i've had all of those <laughs> not at the same time anyway there are some great suggestions in there um and uh, uh if you're looking for a change up that's a great way to do it thank you everybody who kicked in on that one i can't get to all of you that's how many there were what does that say about us oh my well we are brought to you in part by mid-valley clays and shooting school now these folks hunt if you need lessons if you want to shoot better and i know a lot of you do You need to take some lessons but you need to take lessons from people who actually go out there and follow dogs and shoot at wild birds at mid-valley clays shooting school they do just that they're over there in western oregon about near the let's just call it the salem metro area they're hunters they know what works on the range and in the field and they stock both in the way of shotguns but they also know how to teach so if you're looking for a new hunting gun that will also perform for you at the range they've got a rental fleet of 40 plus guns so you can kind of you know play the field such as it is learn more about their rental fleet their hunting guns and their hunting shooting instructors all at midvalleyclays.com that's midvalleyclays.com and yes we're on the pro plan plan You're in a Pro Plan Sport is now my dog food of choice. Well, Flick's dog food of choice. Yeah. it. he tells me it tastes pretty good. I'll take his word for it. But it also does some great things for him. You know, so many champ most champion field trial and hunt test dogs are eating pro plan sport. It's got a concentrated nutrition formula that optimizes oxygen metabolism. What does that translate to? Increased endurance in the field. Lots of protein. We're using the 30-20 formula. Real meat as the first ingredient. And then amino acids that will help with muscle recovery. Yeah, it's all available. All the science, all the formulas, and there are a lot of them, at ProPlanSport.com. welcoming back to the upland nation podcast uh probably one of the most active and knowledgeable and i think i'm going to call it insightful uh spaniel trainers i've ever met todd agnew with craney hills kennels champion field trialer upland hunter the guy knows his stuff todd welcome back to the upland nation podcast
1: Thank you for having me.
0: It's always fun to talk with you. Number one, because I want one of your cocker puppies someday, and, and, and <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to be able to, you know, sneak it into the house. After it's into the house, it's it's a no brainer. She'll fall for it. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I yeah. ask for forgiveness, don't ask for permission. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, what's new in your life?
1: Hi. Uh, Nothing really ever
0: changed
1: here. <laughs> You know, the names of the dogs. Exactly. Uh, obviously, it's a, it's a continual rotation of dogs coming and going. But uh, it's pretty, you know, pretty routine. You get yeah. up, work dogs, and try to solve problems and try to keep moving them ahead and dealing with you know, clients and yeah. all that good stuff. And a lot of travel as always.
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny. You, uh, you said it's pretty routine, but then you said try to solve problems, and they're different every time. I was having a talk with a, a musician friend of mine. We were talking about playing recording sessions. And, you know, for the most part, uh, if you're playing, you know, you know, for John Williams or, you know, anybody else, you're doing a movie soundtrack, you're playing whole notes. You're playing the same quiet, boring stuff all day but it's not because every once in a while you walk into the studio and there's something on the stand that nobody else could play and so you you, there you go you're in problem solving mode and and you deal with this every day i mean that must be part of the i got either the thing you wake up in a cold sweat over or the thing you anticipate every morning Well, I think it's, you know, I think anyone
1: that is striving to be better in all walks of life um, certainly is looking for challenges. And in in the effort to, you know, constantly try to hone our communication with the dogs, because I really think that's the the, the key to all things dog. Yeah. Um, But, you know, anyone that is striving for that. I think they, they're looking for the nuances and, and some of the differences. The cold sweats are you know, when you're going through the phase and you can't figure it out. <laughs> then you know, those are the cold sweats and you know that ebbs and flows, you know, based on how things are going. But you know, we get paid to figure things out. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, unfortunately I think history has shown that some of the old school stuff is still valid. Uh, however, we just know a whole lot more about dog psychology and so forth. And um, so there are a lot of other ways to skin the cat that we know about uh, compared to in days past. I uh, just wish, you know, the public understood that, you know, you, you can't have it
2: all.
1: Nothing gets solved for the long haul in a quick time frame.
0: Well, I want to talk about that in particular. You, talk, you mentioned communication, and I know a lot of times you talk about relationship building with a dog, and we're going to jump into that. But, um, but the first thing is the first thing, and that is that you said patience as well. And, and I think most people have a hard time maintaining their patience when the dog is, uh, for lack of a better term, acting up. You know, the dog is not able to do what they want it to do. If, if you wanted to help us be more patient, what would you do? Zen? Look, in the, look <laughs> yeah. in the mirror. I mean, just look, yeah. look in the mirror. Yeah. yeah, That's
1: really what, what everyone has to do, ha- what they have to do. Um, you know, you're dealing with a living creature that's not human. Yeah. And as much as, you know, society is is trying to make these dogs part of the family and and so forth, and that's all great. Dogs have generally better life than they once had, and all those good things. But the reality is, it is a different species, and it learns differently, and understands different differently. It reads things differently, and if you can't, you know, consistently look at you as being the problem, then <laughs> I I think you know it, it can be a tough road, and yeah. everybody. You know, knows somebody that, you know, was fortunate they had a dog that was truly gifted, um, not just, you know, physically in the field, but inwardly, you know, mentally, usually that means it's a dog that can be very forgiven of our mistakes. And, you know, when you see that, it looks awfully easy, yeah, but yeah. the vast majority of the dogs are not like that, or they're like that on some things, but not others. And so it's very easy being human. To think that we have it figured out, um, but it's very rarely that the dog has it figured out the way we think they do.
0: Yeah, we uh, we uh, had uh, had some encounters with a, a border collie a few days back, and and the first thing everybody wants to say is they're so smart, uh, yeah. <laughs> and and maybe they are, but they maybe they may just think differently than a great dane. <laughs> I think, that, you know, it's a dog. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, you know
1: they're, only, they're only given so many ways to learn and to understand. And I, you know, I don't really think any dogs are smart or any dogs are dumb. I just think they're a dog. Yeah. But I, I do think some dogs um, are quicker at um, putting associations together. Uh-huh. Um, yet they all learn through association. But I do think some are quicker, Border yeah. is being one of them. And, you know, you mentioned the Cockers earlier. I think they are as well, and that's truly what, what makes them so dangerous because they're also putting together associations. We're not interested in them having them, so.
0: <laughs> You know, I, I, I say quite often even now, you know, a dog learns all the time. Sometimes they learn what you want them to. Well, I think that,
1: uh, you know, most times they don't know what we think. We yeah. we think we're teaching them one thing. A classic example is, you know, we deal with our seminars and people come in and, okay, does your, does your dog know to sit? Yep. Okay, so show me. So they start walking and they stop and tell the dog to sit. and The dog sits. They're, okay, this time don't stop. Keep moving. And the dog never sits.
2: Yeah. So yeah.
1: Really yeah. what you thought you t- were teaching the dog to sit with that verbal cue and in reality the dog learned to sit by you stopping yeah so it's a very simple thing but you know that's that's what happens a lot
0: yeah yeah exactly and and you mentioned it and i've you know i've written over and over again on how a dog thinks i think what <laughs> <laughs> what what is your take on that because you, you've alluded to a lot of things uh, that tell us that It's different than we really believe, than than we humans believe it is. How does a dog think? I I
1: think, I think it's pretty well documented that it is through association. Uh And then there's you know discussion about what that time frame is for the associations to be made. Let's, for argument's sake, say somewhere around the second. Well, you know, later on in life, when the dog really has that particular association down, I believe you have more time. Than that one second but to link those like to link the treat and the clicker i think it is relatively quick um but i think the hardest part about the way they think is that we take i don't know let's arbitrarily say five events and we call that one thing let's yeah call it, let's yeah. call it healing all right okay but meanwhile to the dog there's five different actions that go into the act of healing. Mm-hmm. And so we routinely are overcorrecting or, or blaming the dog because, the, you know, the dog's not healing, yet the dog is telling us they don't actually have all five of those components down, right? Yes. So that's where the patients, and you have, to, I, I believe, you have to, you know, we tell people, write it down. Whatever it is you want your dog to do, write down what you want him to do, and then start breaking it down. And if you can break it down to the four or five steps to do that, then go and break every one of those steps down another two or three times. Yeah. And if you work at it, you can really, you know, suddenly that simple task is 15 or 20 little things that <laughs> all have to be taught to get the final product that you're looking for in a consistent and clean manner.
0: I, you know, you're absolutely true. Now, the the big question is, I know, I know people who will say, okay, once you've broken it down, teach the last step first. You you think there's any validity to that? And then work backwards um, from that.
1: I've never done it that way. I, yeah. I can't comment. I yeah. just You know what I do do is I never try to link the steps. <sighs> I I teach everything independently and when all of the various components are clean or the way I'm, i'm happy with i then start to link the components
0: okay so um and, and we'll get deeper into this i, I wa- really want to talk about steadiness with flushing dogs and we'll, we'll go mm-hmm. s- we'll go a little deeper into what you just talked about in a minute because what yeah we all know heal is a good thing obedience is a good thing and we got to teach all of that but but i know we have we don't have all day to talk about this so we'll we'll do mm-hmm. one that's more relevant to the field okay. um oh, uh but first off, let, let's start with your operation. Um, tell me a little bit about where you are and what, and what you do on a day-to-day basis, and then what happens in the summer and the fall, because I know you are an active field trialer, and you're helping other people in that world as well. And we'll talk later about why you think that's so important. So tell me about Craney Hill Kennels.
1: Uh, you know, as we discussed before, we're in Georgia for most of the year. Um, Christina got sick of living where it was cold So, (laughs) uh, you know, it's pretty simple I could move to Georgia or or not (laughs) So (laughs) in either case, uh, I'm I'm in Georgia And, you know, and and it's fine It's, you know, we're in rural Georgia Everybody leaves us alone And uh, if you train dogs, that's pretty important Um, We have a pretty standard routine Up early, starting to play with dogs We almost always have a puppy in the house Yeah uh, Or two or three, just, you know we're always buying puppies having puppy you know that type of thing so early in the morning uh, make some coffee and then I'm doing clicker and treats with really young puppies getting them going uh, linking some behaviors and so forth uh, then you know when it starts to get daylight out get out start getting going dogs loaded up depending on what I'm working on that day and when it's a warm out certainly trying to get to the field right away uh, when it starts to get hot then we tend to be doing more drill yard yeah. retrieving type stuff, um, but as far as running upland hunting type of activities, uh, we're trying to do that early now in the winter. Of course, we you know we do that all day right up till you know last light, uh, making use of the best time of the year. Uh, as far as the, the calendar, you know, field trials, uh, you know, really they pretty much year round these days. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we just got back from Maine, and that's it for us until September. So get okay. a little bit of reprieve on the travel and so forth with that. Uh, so most of those dogs are, you know, headed home or are already home, and will get a little stress break, go home, and hopefully just relax. Um, owners tend to want to play with the dogs a lot.
2: Yeah, there you go.
1: And um, you know, and I get it. It's you know, it's their dog, and I mean, it it shouldn't be a tool. It should be something they enjoy uh, to be around and, and to play with. But you know, living on the road and on the field trial circuit is pretty stressful for dogs and so when they do go home uh, you know it's our preference uh, that they, they just try to chill out and give them a mental break just like any of us would need after an intense time frame yeah uh, but then come september you know we'll be up in michigan grouse hunting and then hitting the trial circuits it's, it's i like to grouse hunt it's my favorite type of hunting these days Uh, But, you know, the other reason to go up there is that, you know, instead of 12, 15 hours to the trials from Georgia, you know, there's a lot of trials, you know, within four or five hours.
2: So it
1: saves a little bit on the travel for us. And we'll be hot and heavy with that right up until nationals in November and then amateur nationals in December and the cocker nationals in December. So, and then the calendar will turn and it'll all start
0: all, all over again. well let's talk about the important stuff here you you love grouse hunting what is it about that grouse hunting that you like so much well i think
1: you know growing up in new england and you know around the woods it you know feels like home um so you know there's some of that and i think as all of us get older we become a little bit more romantic with some of those things and yeah, yeah. some of the you know the older writings of course I don't find it to be anything like the old writings but you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know we kind of blink that part uh-huh. and um, but then you know the weather is so favorable and leaves change in and all those types of things you know we were out on the prairies with pheasants for so many years and um, although I do like that now when we go to do that you know I do find it enjoyable again but haven't done that and guided hunters for you know, so many years, I just, we did not have to do that again. You know, so um, this became vacation, you know, for Christine sure. and I. Really, uh, you know, it was our mental break, and uh, we've just now transferred that—that that the people we're working with, then they come up and train dogs in the natural environment
2: with mm-hmm. us, mm-hmm.
1: and I think that is really important um, because we tend, you know, our field trial group tend—they tend to be newer people. Um, most of them have never hunted before, mm. uh, so it's really an opportunity. I mean, their whole lifestyle has changed, and they get to come see and work their dogs in a real environment. And now they're starting to hunt, and yeah. now our group yeah. tends to go off, you know, group up and go hunt amongst themselves, where I'm not even involved, which is great.
0: <laughs> you know, it's a, yeah, don't take it personally, right? <laughs> but yeah,
1: but, but but it's also, I mean, it's you know, so it's it's the effort to kind of build a community of enjoyment. Because, you know, the field trials, uh, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs with many more downs than ups. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's a long year. So if you're just, you know, sitting around waiting for the two weeks you get to go hunt or whatever it is for any one person – um, if there's a community where it's a lifestyle, it really does become a year-round activity. Yeah. So that, yeah. that's enjoyable.
0: Yep. We're starting up around here as well with our club. So, um, of course, it's going to get really hot. So,
2: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. right. Uh,
0: okay. Let's let's jump back to something that I think is a real foundation for everything else. And I think you think it too. And that is building a relationship with your dog. I mean, wh- what do you mean by that? Well, for, for us, you know, I I really
1: get sick of the whole alpha dog thing.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah.
1: Not that I disagree with it, because I don't. Mm-hmm. But it really bothers me that overwhelmingly the only piece that gets advertised and discussed is the human being the dominant in the yeah. relationship. Yeah. And I just think that's overblown because it leaves <laughs> out the other equally important part, which is, you know, the, the alpha dog provides safety hunting habitat with good game it controls the harmony of the group it's not all about discipline yeah you know so i think there's a there's an important piece that's been left out over the years and i think we as humans really take that to be tough on dogs not just physically but mentally so um for us I think relationship building we try to view it more as respect mm-hmm. and I think consistency is the yeah. key there yeah so yeah. that you know dogs they're remarkable in how much pressure they can take if it's fair and just
2: yes And it
1: can only be fair and just if yesterday is the same as today and it's the same as tomorrow I mean they're just uh, they thrive in consistency they struggle if things change on a day-to-day basis. So all of our relationship building really is done in the first year. A lot of, you know, predominantly clicker and treats, mm-hmm. a lot of work mm-hmm. on the table, getting the puppies to, you know, solve little problems on their own. Like, you know, Todd's standing a certain way. What the heck does that mean? Yeah. Get them to just keep trying behaviors until they find one that works and then just keep – keep at it through repetition um so that, i mean that's really we're trying to build a a human bond and not a todd bond
0: i get yes. it and and good point by the way speaking of todd that's todd agnew with craney hills candles and he you he, you can learn more about this philosophy and and there's a lot there at Training. Dot com i'm scott linden this is the upland nation podcast you know it, in the introduction to the podcast i talked about what we're working on here and it's it, it it jibes exactly with what you're talking about i i joke about it but flick thinks i am the the bird provision machine <laughs> you know whenever he whenever a bird arrives in his life it's because i made it arrive and and that's just part of that whole idea of what you just described um uh the consistency thing we all have to work on more i'm sure but uh, but the whole idea of 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 Trust and respect is right in there as well. So love that. And fairness. I used fairness as a term in my book a while back and somebody thought I was nuts until I explained it to them.
1: Well, I I, I think that's how you develop respect. Yeah. I mean you know, you just think of us as humans. Yeah. We may not like being reprimanded. We may not like um having to do, you know, some crummy job. Uh, but somebody's gotta do it. And generally we can all accept those things even if we don't like it if we think that we're being treated fairly and i think it's the same for the dogs they yeah. can they can yeah. deal with a lot of unpleasantness if they feel it's fair
0: yeah uh, i'm i'm with you 100% todd you're on the right track uh keep up the good work <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, uh, this is the time of year when everybody's got a young dog. <clears throat> they're trying to do all the things they think need to be done. They, they hope that their dog's going to be a rock star. First time out of the crate this early season, you know. Uh, what are the things that, <clears throat> that people forgot to do or need to do that you don't think they're doing with a very young dog, say, in midsummer?
1: Um, are we talking a new dog
0: to them? Yeah, or? yeah, new dog. Uh, they just uh, okay. picked it up from from you guys. Oh, oh, from us or anybody. Uh, you know okay. that. But here he is, looking at peeing on the floor and looking at you. They they want to go to the field. Yeah,
1: I mean they just they want to go to the field, and I think you gotta you gotta give these dogs a reason to want to be with you.
2: Uh-huh. Okay.
1: and more often than not, people give the dogs total freedom on some level. Yeah, And then when they want them to be with them, it's some, you know, domineering situation because the dog wants to run around and they struggle to get the dog gathered up. And so that you're going at the dog. Well, why would the dog want to come to you? Okay. So I think sitting on the porch with a handful of treats, uh, walking around, always having treats in your pockets. I think bending down, becoming warm and inviting, uh, letting the, you know, if it's a puppy, jump on you. I'm not, you know, one of these, all the, you know, you should never let the dog jump on you. I just, you know, if you're asking the dog to do it, I think it's fine. If the dog's being belligerent, that's different. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, give the dog a reason to want to be with you because if you have a dog, and what I mean by that is if you have a dog that genetically yeah. is what we are mm-hmm. looking
2: for. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: Then there's going to be, Times in that dog's life where the genetics override what we want. And the genetics are pretty powerful. So, you know, a, it's our squirrel runoff, okay, or a bird flush, or, you know, anything that the dog just can't even think genetics take over. Well, that's really powerful. And it's really hard to convince the dog to do something that goes against its genetics. Well, if the dog doesn't have any reason in its life, to be attached to you good luck with that now you're left with purely punishment Mm
2: -hmm.
1: so i think (laughs) young dogs overwhelmingly it should be about forming that relationship but you got to move that relationship around so you hear it all the time oh my dog's so well behaved at home of course it is yeah there's no distraction there's no distraction (laughs) you know so if you go to the field and you have treats and just sit down in the grass, let let the dog find you, give it treats, love it up. Give the dogs a reason to be interested in you.
0: Yeah. And food works great. Uh, sure, if, if,
1: if it doesn't starve them more. <laughs>
0: You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not kidding. No, there's the cliche I've heard a lot recently, and I'm a big believer is a tired dog is a trainable dog. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I, I also I'm, now I'm going to add one, and that is a hungry dog Absolutely. pays attention. <laughs> Absolutely. But Absolutely. what about other things? We can't always walk around with a pocket full of kibble. Uh, you, know, you know, it's you know. Uh, so, what other things do you use to, especially? In a younger dog relationship, what do you do to cement that relationship? Um, we're using, like I
1: said, we're using a lot of clicker. Yeah. And at some point, you know, they don't get a treat every time we use the clicker, uh-huh. but we, we're never going for walks with young dogs with all the clicker. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you said it earlier about the birds. Yeah. So, you know, it's amazing that if every time you called your dog and he looked at you, I don't care if he's 30 yards away, 40 yards away, and you threw a bird out of your vest behind you. Mm-hmm it wouldn't take long for every time you call that dog for him to snap around and look.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. So, I mean, it's just using what is of interest to the dog. Yeah. How can I use it to get me where I want to be with the dog? So you take like here. Okay. Well, all you want for here is the the dog to generally come back towards you. So if I can throw a clip wing behind me or something and that, gets the dog excited to start coming back to you mm-hmm. Well, you're working towards your goal yeah don't throw don't throw it away from you you're working against your goal <laughs>
2: so,
1: <laughs> so you, you know just think about again this gets to that write it down on paper what is yeah. it you're trying to accomplish Yep. and then break it down and on all of those the more you can get the dog to to think that it's what it wants to do anyway yeah why do we why do we throw treats in a crate <laughs> like no, dog, no dog wants to go in the, in the crate. But if the dog starts to learn there's treats in there, well, now the dog has decided for himself going into the crate is a good thing. Well, that makes our life easier. So even with these young dogs before the season, or I, I don't care if the dogs came out of our training program, it behoove everybody to think about it. What can I do on a regular basis to encourage the dog to be offering behaviors that ultimately you're going to want?
0: Yeah, you know, the the, the operative, I, I think the best way to sum up what you've just said, Todd Agnew, is um, we need to think about what how the dog thinks. When we're doing things, we need to give it a, a moment and, and go through the process. Then we'll become a slightly more analytical about it and probably more strategic in the long run. Am I reading you right? Yeah, you, you'll become more consistent. Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, so you know a lot of people. We've all trained with lot, you know, with different people and people that come train with us. Trust me, some days I'm willy nilly as well. Uh, Oh yeah, I'm human, like like everybody. But the less you can be willy nilly, the more often that you can go and think, okay, this is what I want to accomplish, and this is how I'm going to do it. Just over time, you will be more consistent, and then the dog will be less confused on what that body language is what that tonal voice is yeah it's really the benefit of the clicker is the tone doesn't change
0: yeah yeah and uh, I, I'm promised nobody I'm gonna go down that rabbit hole today the clicker is a <laughs> separate discussion yeah. but but y'all get the idea there um, Todd you get a moment here to put your feet up I get a moment to pay the bills so stick around everybody we're going to talk more about that kind of stuff we're going to talk about hunting strategies we're going to talk about why hunting Tests don't get it done, Todd. There's your assignment during the commercial break. We are brought to you in part by MidwayUSA.com. Yeah, they carry just about everything you'll need. Yeah, that's where I'm going these days. 20,000 of their products ship free. They've got just about everything you're going to need, and not you know, they got everything from every manufacturer in every category. My eyes blur every time I go to MidwayUSA.com, and that's a good thing. And the best thing about it is they are also big about customer satisfaction and service. They just won the 2022 BizRate Platinum Circle of Excellence Award. That's based on customer feedback. So, you know, your friends, people like us, they think Midway USA is all about Taking care of their customers. Okay. Lesson learned. And one of the things you might be able to find when you do your shopping is highviz sites. H-I-V-I-Z-S-I-G-H-T-S dot com. Highvizsites.com. They're original equipment manufacturers for many of the big brands that you know and love: Ruger, Benelli, Browning, Remington. What do they know that you don't know about sights and shotguns and how they might be able to help you shoot? Go to HiVizSights.com and learn more about their light pipe technology, all the other versions of shotgun sights that might help you in the long run. And welcome back to the Upland Nation podcast. Mr. Todd Agnew, Craney Hill Kennels, SpanielTraining.com. I know I left you with a an assignment, and um, I, maybe we should just jump right into that. Um, what's the problem with hunt tests versus field trials?
1: Well, I think a lot of it, you know, like the field trials, depends on you know who the judges are and where you're going. <laughs> yeah, for, I right? know. <laughs> uh, but you know, eliminating that subjectivity, um, I I can only um, comment on the spaniel hunt test. Yeah, sure. Okay, and you know the spaniel. The problem I have with the spaniel hunt test is that it is essentially a retriever test. Oh. So if you're going to be a master hunter, then there's four components to it. One is a field piece where the dog at the master level is supposed to be steady the wing and shot, go out, find birds, make the retrieves. Um, then the second piece, and in, in not necessarily in this order, but the second piece is the dog has to make a single water retrieve. Mm-hmm. Uh, third piece is the dog has to make a simple land blind. They call it a hunt dead, but you know it's generally there's something out there. Go get it, and it's usually through some type of transition of cover, yeah. so either out of yeah. the field into the woods or something. Um, and it's and it's it's modest. It's you know 50 yards or something or another. You know it's not 100 yards. It's 50, 60. Let's say. And then the last thing is um, some type of a water blind, which tends to be 40 or 50 yards, uh, and you start off right at the water's edge. So um, there's three of those four things are retrieving oriented. Yes. So if you're gonna be a master spaniel hunter, I have a problem with that because the number one thing the spaniel has to do is find game. Yeah, yeah. And then if you're fortunate enough to shoot it, it needs to retrieve it but only 25 percent of the test really is about finding questing game
2: yeah okay
1: so yeah. i i philosophically have a problem with that aside from any of the you know weak judging and you know not upholding a standard yeah, yeah. the the other problem with the spaniel hunt test is that i don't even know now but maybe there's 16 breeds or whatever it is that can Participate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they'll let labs in, which is fine. I don't care about the, the breeds, but they all write their own description of what that dog is supposed to be doing as a hunting dog.
2: Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. a bunch
1: of those breeds, they'll write in there that um, it's common for the dog to hesitate on the flush. Well, you know what? These are flushing dogs. They shouldn't be hesitating.
2: That's yeah. just not it's
1: what they should be doing. Black or white. So, that's right so now um they can adjust the scores and so forth but if you allow the breeds all the breeds including the springer spaniels if you allow them to write flaws into the acceptable performance that's a problem for me yeah that's a problem for me so oftentimes we'll see you know we trained a couple of clumbers. they were fun i mean they you know we did some work for some person i mean i don't want to own the dogs but but you could go and you, you can enjoy it. Yeah. But you, you can't go hunt wild birds with them. Huh. You just, you, you, just you, you can't. I walked about 200 yards on this gravel bed in the grouse woods. I watched the grouse walk in front of us 40 <laughs> or 50 yards for 200. The bird never once felt pressured. It only finally got up because we hit a road and it ran out of cover. <laughs> And now the thing is that Columber never lost that bird. He trailed it the entire time, but I mean, he can't
0: ever catch up to the bird. Oh my God that oh i i've sorry if you're the one person listening who owns a clumber spaniel maybe yours is different and more that power I, to you <laughs> yeah. you know it's just but it's but uh, you know i use that as an example yeah i first hand yeah. knowledge
1: with that dog and that was a dog I, I mean if you look at some of our past videos we call them sasco i love that i had a blast with that dog um but it, it's just you know there, there's another pro a very accomplished sp- um spaniel pro um and he had told me one time with the different levels, junior, senior, and so forth, I, you know, I said, you know, what do you think of the junior? And you got all these categories for judging. And, and he said, you know, I think it's really simple. Did the dog improve the hunt or make the hunt worse? If it improved the hunt, it passes. If it didn't, if it made the hunt worse, it fails. And I think the spaniel hunt test on many, many fronts has forgotten who cares
0: what the breed is.
1: Number one thing should be, can you hunt the dog? Okay. If you well, can't hunt the dog, it shouldn't pass.
0: Well, let's let's go to that, but first, it's not exclusive to flushing breeds. Um, I, I was no. pla- I was planning a, I was planning birds for a hunt test for a uh, a breed specialty club, uh, and I won't mention the breed, but it sounds like an ice cream from Southern Europe, <laughs> and uh, I was you know you plant the birds you run and hide behind the trees or something then you watch the dog work the birds until you doze off (laughs) (laughs) and it happened more than once that day but anyway so what about a what about a field trial versus that you say that if a, a field trial would have more of the things that are relevant to a hunting dog situation a field dog
1: you know? well it would because you're can instead of every dog being able to be happy and go home with a ribbon uh-huh you're competing against each other yeah so only the well only there's only one winner
0: yeah yeah
1: and then usually there's second third and fourth yep but not all, not always yeah because yeah they don't yeah give, you know, they, don't, they don't give them all so even if it's a 50-dog trial, let's say out in the Midwest or Rocky Mountain where they have bigger trials, even if there's 50 dogs and they were overwhelmingly poor, they still have to compete against each other. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, so that in itself, you know, competition breeds people working harder to get better. Hence, the dogs will continue improving. You know, nothing's absolute, you know that it's you know you can we've won trials where our dog was not very good it was a bad trial yeah i mean there's i mean we've got we've got we've won ribbons we didn't deserve and we haven't got ribbons when we felt maybe we it. so all things kind of even out you know over the long haul but 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 more often than not um you know the cream rises to the top yeah certainly over the course of the year you know the better dogs are going to perform more often um, so, uh, you know, that's the aspect of the field trial. The problem with the field trial is that, at best, one person's going home happy because second place thought they should have won, no placement, but they finished, thought they should have got a ribbon. You know, it's just all that human nature stuff in yeah, competition. Yeah. Um, but if we're, if it's for the dogs, then the field trials are better for the breed. I don't believe the hunt tests are for the dogs. I think the hunt tests yeah. are for the people that go play golf.
0: Uh, I get it, and and, uh, and you, you know, I I agree with a lot of that. I think they're be- not not my role. Now, now that's span- yeah.
1: spaniels only, okay? Yeah, mean, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Only you know those labs. Yeah. Tests. I mean, no, I don't know him. But <laughs> well, I do know them. I've gunned for a few. Yeah, yeah. I uh, mean, everybody yeah. should be so fortunate yeah. to have a master lab. Right. Yeah. I mean, a, well, but, well, let's go life. to that. Not, not a master lab, but we have a we have a, a, a flushing breed of very any sort, long tail, short tail, tall, short dog, whatever. Um, one of our highest priorities is steadiness. And steadiness means different things to different people. But for a flushing dog, you I think you know where I'm going with this. There are dogs that will do all the things the opposite of that clumber. But when the bird gets in the air, they're chasing already.
1: Sounds like a good dog.
0: Okay. C- carry on from there. So,
1: to me, that's a dog with strong prey drive. Yeah. yeah. And Genetically the dog you know spaniels flushing dogs should chase yeah so now if the dog has been trained to be steady different issue right the dog's not complying and so forth but from just purely from a dog a genetic standpoint um dogs should chase and that can look differently some chase and they're just rebels right from the get-go and then some dogs chase you know we've had dogs that chase flat out for 50 yards and and that's it they chased and then we have other dogs that will chase flat out, you know, as far as they can go. Yeah. So I, I don't think it's really any different. I'm just looking for that initial, I want it. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, I will say I'm a little surprised that your listeners find steadiness to be a priority because there's, I mean, the percentage of America flushing gun dogs that have a steady dog is so minuscule that
0: you know to be honest we don't even recommend it well let's uh, from the get-go let's define that don't forget the majority of these listeners are pointing breed owners okay Uh, yep Yep. and and i'll make that argument any day i'm i'm working really hard on it almost daily but a significant number of folks who are listening right now have a labrador or a spaniel of one sort or another and uh and so let's talk about it in that context you have a dog and like you said got strong intense prey drive and it's chasing all the time is there an argument for uh uh, you know them to sit on the flush
1: safety that's the only argument yeah okay i mean i do think a dog that is steady to wing and shot is a better marker yeah. and i've got i got it for years i know all the arguments about the you know, birds are running they get to get on them right away uh-huh. here would be my question if you didn't shoot the bird but your dog was just out there hunting and the bird was running around every one of us would expect our dog to trail that and find it and put it up in the air how come when we shoot it we somehow say, oh, well, no, the dog's really at a disadvantage, so let them chase so it can mark it. I, I, that just defies logic to me. If they mark the fall, they should then be able to trail the bird out.
2: Mm-hmm. And I know
1: the air, the air wash, right? I mean, yeah, that yeah. Can yeah. And so forth. But so So I don't believe an unsteady dog marks better. I just don't believe that. But safety, you know, a dog that has been through the steadiness process is clearly under better control. Yeah. Even if the steadiness gets sloppy – they're under better control than a dog that is not steady. The problem that I have with it is that um, it's not genetic. Yeah. This is a man-made thing, which means the odds are overwhelming that you're going to impact their flush.
2: Yeah. you soften yeah.
1: their flush due to pressure or poor timing on your corrections and so forth. Okay, so that being said, wild birds in particular – the whole benefit of a flushing dog is to hit those birds in the air as fast as possible. Yeah. And then the more the aggressive more aggressive the flush is, the faster that will happen. So I believe that if instead people were more focused on that their dog absolutely knew the hear command, yeah, problem yeah. would be solved. Not the safety problem, right? Because, you know, dogs that are steady don't get shot generally you know so there is a safety reason for it clearly but if you're someone that hunts a lot of you know country where you're not crowded okay or you hunt by yourself if your dog listening to hear i mean absolutely listen to it you wouldn't have to worry about that dog running off 200 yards disturbing game or any of those other things so i don't i mean our, our dogs have to be steady one we're in business and you know there's an optic Yeah. yeah. Um, But the field trials, they have to be steady. Okay. The hunt tests, they only have to for master. They don't have to be steady Mm -hmm. for junior and senior. Um, But I I just, and I don't care what people do, whether they want to steady the dog or not. I just think they have to look at the pluses and minuses and what their life is. Because once you steady the dog. He will become unsteady if you don't maintain that. So every time you turn to shoot the bird, no different for pointing dogs, right? You turn to shoot the bird, it's very easy for that dog to take a step and you not even know it. Yeah. And before long, they're taking two steps, three steps. Well, you just put all this pressure on the dog and you're going to let it slip And then because we're human, well, then when we see it, we're going to go back and hammer the dog for doing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, you know, now we're back to fairness again, in my opinion.
0: Well, and, and, and there he's the advocate. I'm a believer too. That's Todd Agnew with Craney Hills Kennels. Learn more about their operation at spanieltraining.com. I'm Scott Linden. Learn more about us by sticking around. This is the Upland Nation podcast. Let's go to the other priority, and, and, and I'm intrigued by some ways that you approach this, and that is retrieving in general. Every one of our dogs wants to, we want every one of our dogs to retrieve better. Um, I, I watched a video of yours, and you're holding what looks like a, you know, a, a T-Rex femur bone in your hand, and the poor cocker, uh, I think you're going to ask that dog to pick it up and carry it around. Um, out of my hand?
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I, Chris, don't, don't know what you are looking at. What yeah. we use the femur bone yeah. for is really for delivery. Uh-huh. And so um, fundamentally, we're asking the dogs to be an unnatural retriever, right? You hear everyone say, I want a natural retriever. Yeah. There's nothing in nature where they retrieve. Yeah. They grab yeah. it, they run off, and they eat it. That's yeah. natural. <laughs> so, so what we're trying to do is at a very young age, we're trying to change the behavior. So we've all seen puppies that will pick something up, and they're, and they're almost teasing you, trying to get you engaged to try to get it from them. Yeah. Okay. Well, we want to flip it on the dog. We want that Behavior to be changed so that if they want to engage us, they have to give it to us. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, so that femur bone is in the be- – it, it's a long process. But in, in the beginning, it's the only toy the puppies get. Huh. So we want them in, in the house, and once they're comfortable picking up and running around with that, um, we don't give it to them. They just have to arbitrarily decide – you know, there's femur bones all over the floor.
0: Ah, Okay. okay.
1: So that becomes the only toy they have. So once they're doing that, then we'll sit on the floor. That doesn't take long for them trying to get us to take it, right? To play, They want us to play that game. Okay. And we'll, we'll just spend weeks ignoring them. And then before long, not only are they trying to get us to take it, but they're in my face, shoving their face in my face. Uh-huh. And so then I may reach up, and the key is don't ever take it just hold it right wherever it is
0: uh-huh, uh-huh
1: and as soon as they give it up which they will as soon as they give it up we just say their name and then they figure out when we say their name they take it again then they run off okay okay so we're just flipping the game that if they want us to be engaged they got to bring and give us that i love and it they, now you'll see older dogs do it all the time right they grab slippers yeah you yeah know, those, but those tend to be trained dogs at that point so that's how we start it. That's the whole femur bone premise. And the reason we use the femur bone is because you know, it's good for the teeth anyway. And, yeah you know, all, the, all those types of things.
0: All right, so so let's break it down. We got a you know, a dog that is ready to learn to retrieve. Okay. Um, w- what's your basic plan? Um, f- start to finish step by step in abbreviated version? starts with <laughs> what much. and ends with what?
1: Okay, so ours are starting at seven weeks or eight weeks whenever we get the puppy. Yeah. Okay. And so we're going to start with that femur bone. While they're learning that, right, because it takes some time for them to figure everything out that I just sure. described. Yeah. Um, we're using the clicker, uh-huh. and we're through targeting, we're getting them to touch a piece of PVC pipe. Where is to- that? That's in in the, in the house. Okay. You know, I mean, no, eight, no, but where's the eight.
0: pipe? Is it on the floor too or what? No, no, You're no, home? no. It's in my hand. Right on. My okay. Hand.
1: Okay. So it's just a targeting drill. Yeah. Yeah. So every time they touch the pipe, you know, they get the treat. And then after a while, they're touching it all the time so they no longer get the click and treat. And then maybe they lick it and they'll click that. And so we're just incrementally moving it. Anything that gets it closer to them, open their mouth and putting their mouth on it. Right? So there's a long process
2: yeah. of that. Yeah. And as
1: they start to show more of the behavior we want, we stop rewarding the beginning behaviors. Yeah. Okay? And then we go through that, and then eventually, you know, they have their mouth on it, and then they kind of hold it.
2: And okay. then,
1: again, we continue until we can let go of it. All right? And of okay. course, they drop it right away, you know, the first bunch of times. So we just go through that, and then eventually we get to the point where they're picking it up off of our feet and looking up at us with the pipe in their mouth okay so this is all just for presentation and delivery
0: yeah yeah one of the many steps we've written down that's right that's right
1: so now that the aspect of retrieving which i believe retrieving is any dog that will run out there and not even pick it up but show interest in it to me that's a dog that retrieves yeah and there's all these other components that then do the entire process the way we want it. So while all the stuff is going on inside, when the puppies are young, outside, we may throw a couple tennis balls. We may, you know, throw a couple, you know, lock wing pigeons. We never use frozen birds. Huh. Almost never throw dead birds. Okay. I find dogs muck with, you know, carcass dead stuff. Yeah. A whole lot more than live stuff. I'll be done uh, But all I'm looking for outside is the dog to show me that it's willing to retrieve me and it's willing to run out there and show some interest in whatever I threw. So I am not a keep throwing retrieves, keep throwing retrieves guy. I am, if the dog will show me that, I'm all about delivery. Okay. Because almost all retrieving issues are around you. There's very few dogs that run out there, pick it up, and muck with it out there. There's very few dogs that run out there, pick it up, and then leave it. If you watch, they tend to pick it up, and then they drop it as they're coming back to you.
0: Okay. So the, the, right. so
1: the problem is you.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, so that's why our whole focus is on the delivery. Again, give them a reason to want to come to you, to want to hold it in front of you. So change in the game that they need to give it to me so that they can get it back.
0: You know, it uh, last week, um, the guy I go to for my wire hairs and a friend and an incredible chucker hunter said the same thing in different words. It it's, It is entire, you guys are on the same wavelength and now so am I. I never thought about it the way you've both described it. But it really is about the second half of that trip out and back, isn't it?
1: because that dog is telling you it's feeling pressure of some sort,
0: either avoidance pressure,
1: correction, pressure, intimidation, whatever it is, that's most retrieving issues are right around the handler. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of people will force break. Yeah. And they'll they'll force break regardless whether they think the dog needs it or not. Mm -hmm. Well, and and we force broke all our dogs when we were guiding, right? Because my dog's not going to drop a bird and, you know, he loses the only birdie shot in the week of hunting. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah. Um, you know, that would be embarrassing to me. <laughs> so, uh, but now. I'm used only, to it, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> we, we only force break if I think that's the missing component to, to yeah. compete on a national level. I yeah. Just, I, yeah. I, I, it, it's, it's brutal for me. It's brutal for the dog. However, I do 100% believe in it. It yeah. is the only way to truly make it reliably clean, regardless of situation.
0: Okay, I just don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, well, you know, it's not easy for both parties. We That's all know right. that. And, and, and in fact, I don't care what you say, and we read this. This is a first sentence in most of those methods. When you're both done, you'll have a better bond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> you just answered. You answered yeah. it perfectly, Todd Agnew. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Okay, let let's go hunting for a few minutes, and then and yeah. then I'm going to turn you loose to probably muck out kennels or something glamorous. But uh, if we're if we're going hunting with you, uh, put yourself back in your guide days. Uh, what is the one piece of gear that you're going to ensure that you have in your vest, or that we are carrying in our vest that we might not? normally think about
1: oh boy um well you know water without everyone should be thinking about that but you know particularly where you are out there and yeah um uh other than water um you know i'm kind of a minimalist yeah
2: yeah
1: i don't i don't really carry a first aid kit it's in the truck yeah i don't really carry i generally have a multi-tool yeah you know type you know type of knife um i you know, I don't even go in the woods with a compass. Yeah.
2: I, yeah. You know,
1: I just, um, I, I, you know, I guess these days probably hearing protection is, yeah. you know, pretty prevalent with us. Mm-hmm. I, sorry, I, I just don't know what to, you know, I, I can't think of anything that is. I mean, everything would. I think everybody should be thinking about the stuff we carry as a as a general rule. I can't think of anything. You know, that Todd Agnew carries that people yeah. maybe aren't thinking about
0: already yeah yeah yeah.
1: i mean mean, you know mentally i think you know a a clear calm head remember the dog's the one with the nose yeah so let's let's remember
0: that (laughs) well i should put an extra one of those somewhere in one of those pockets and if we're hunting and and, yeah you, you did hunt the prairies and mm-hmm. you have yeah and now you hunt mainly the woods mm-hmm. but uh, one or the other of those what is a, a hunting strategy that you use that we haven't uh, considered yet um
1: well I think all game whether it's birds or big game or you know just wildlife is always in the transition zones uh-huh okay, they're they're coming or going as a general they're on the way to roost on the way back to food whatever it is so wherever you're going to hunt I think you you know pause and see if you can see where the transition is. And of course, when we're out there in those prairies, particularly in Kansas, it's relatively flat. But if you if you really pay the attention, it's not flat. Yeah, there is a, there is a transition out there, and you always hunt the transitions first. Well, don't it's, just go out to some blank field.
0: It, I get related questions a lot because I spend a lot of time out there and and people say well you know you know it's all the same you know it's not flat as a pancake we understand that but yeah. let's just take a prairie uh in mm-hmm. kansas is good because you know it, i know it how how are we going to tell where the transitions are
1: well well the easiest one is topography yeah so all of those pancake flat fields generally because that was all farmed ground yeah they generally have some depression running through them mm-hmm. now it could be six inches yeah you know and so with yep. the cover it's hard to see but you know two ways if you can't tell through topography you tend to be able to see the difference in the cover so where there was water you tend to have thicker cover yeah absolutely so you know find that transition you know don't go out into the middle of the field you know the, the transition may be the gravel road is on one side there you go
0: yeah edges yep another yep. way to look at it. uh yep. but up uh, but the middle of the field probably the last hungarian last. partridge the hu- last hungarian partridge hunt i did last season it was blowing a gale and it was about nine degrees we're shortcutting across a wheat stubble field because it's so cold we want to quit. And son of a gun, if Flick doesn't my dog, he doesn't lock up in the middle of this field pointing at nothing. <laughs> and then fifty Huns got up in front of him. And and we got there too late of course, but when we got there we realized just like you just said, Tim, it was a foot lower you couldn't tell from a distance but when you got there it was a d- little depression it was a little bowl it's a very shallow bowl but it was lower than everything else so that stuff works but we it's do just, have to... it,
1: it, it it's how nature lives yeah right yeah i mean you're grouse hunting right they they come out out onto the edge to grit out on the road during the, the heat of the day they go back in In loaf and generally lighter cover, and they're just hanging out. And at night, they got to come out because they got to feed. And then they're looking, you know, to go roost and find thicker cover overnight. So it's the same system for all wildlife. That's why, you know, like out where you are, if you go to Idaho and those types of things, why the game trails? Every living animal is using the same game trail. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. I I see it out here. The uh, on our trails, I can find a deer hoof print and a coil track right next to each other
1: yeah it's just it's uncanny how that you know but obviously it's reason they live it's just the way it's programmed for survival so um that's that's the thing really try to pay attention to the transitions
0: okay last question but you, you i mean you've been there and done this and you do it more than all of us but whether we're uh but particularly with flushing breeds we don't have the the you know the the clanging bell and the fire horn going off saying hey I found a bird I'm holding still and pointing my nose right at it get ready to shoot no we have to be ready in different ways when we're walking behind a flushing breed and then we need to be able to shoot better what is the process that you if I was your client we were out in the woods somewhere you were still guiding what would you tell me about um, uh, watching the dog getting ready to shoot positioning myself foot uh, location, all of that. Take us to school on shooting. Um,
1: definitely not a, not a shooter. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there are very few people that truly are. That's why those shooting instructors are yeah. phenomenal people. <laughs> um, I, I think that to, to be relaxed. Okay? Uh-huh. I think uh-huh. all my years of guiding, the, the overwhelming reason that people miss is because they're surprised by the flush. Yeah. And in fairness, you know, we get to see that flush on a daily basis
2: mm-hmm. where
1: most hunters, um, you know, when we're guiding, it might be the only week of the year that they see it. So, it, you know, it, it's, it's not the easiest thing to be prepared for. Spaniels are known to be very spanielly <laughs> excitable, And so, you know, people will always say, Oh, the dog always looks like it's on bird. Yeah. There are differences, but some spaniels are more animated than others. Um, you know, where uh, their tail action really accelerates or they tend to be acting more manic.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Um, okay. Where like when we ran labs, which we trained them just like our spaniels, but yeah. when we ran labs, you know, they also would get animated, but because the tail was longer, it was a, it was a, a longer motion, so it didn't move as rapidly, but it was certainly more rapid when they, than when they were just questing. Sure. So if you can watch the dog initially when there's no bird, oh, establish a baseline.
0: Yeah. Try to get comfortable
1: <laughs> for what that dog looks like, and then say, I don't know if he's on a bird or not, but he's acting different. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and and then just try to stay relaxed because who knows which way the bird's going to go. Yeah. So that that mm-hmm. whole, like, get your feet ready, I don't know. I mean, in the grouse woods, I, you know, we do, we don't guide grouse hunters, but, you know, when our group is up there with us, you know, we do tell them, you know, try to see where are the escape routes. Yeah. You know, out in the prairie, it tends to be more open. Yeah. But in the woods, you know, you're looking for the escape routes because, you that's the only place you can shoot anyway.
0: Well, well, yeah, and then there's the one that I learned from the uh, the CEO at the Rough Grouse Society, and that is stand in a place where you can actually mount and swing your gun.
1: Yeah, yeah, Yeah.
0: that's, uh, again,
1: things we take for granted.
0: Yeah, well, (laughs) that's why I asked this dumb question of experts.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Um, I, I, I think... You know everybody wants wants to shoot a bird in the worst way i mean it, it is hunting for a reason right it's not it's not catch and release um but i think you know being able to relax and enjoy the day will give you clearer thought to just let the gun go to where you're looking and pull on the trigger
0: yeah, I'm I'm all for it, and that's a good way to end this discussion, which uh, uh, I've learned so much. Todd Agnew with Craney Hill Kennels. Uh, spanieltraining.com is where you learn more about their philosophy. We didn't even get around to the online stuff you have. You have an online training course and forum and so many other things there that are a wealth a wealth of information to us. Todd will do this again sometime in the meanwhile. Good luck as you jump, uh, well, you're preparing hard now for the fall trial season. I wish you the best. Thank you. Uh, Appreciate your being a part of the Upland Nation podcast.
1: Thanks for having me. Be well.
0: Oh, I will, and I'm sure you will, too. Thank you again, Todd. Hey, we've got more to come here. We're going to talk about a place for everything come this hunting season when it Uh, when you're loading your rig preparing it for the season that'll be coming up in just a few moments first we're brought to you in part by pointer shotguns i've been uh, just raving over my the case coloring on that new side-by-side they sent me it's just incredible and so everybody else is too Um, take it to the range and everybody wants to shoulder that thing but they really want to open it up and look at that case coloring Um, beyond that you can also get many of their shotguns with nickel plated receivers or in those cerakote colors olive drap green kind of a sport utility gun or a bronze or a gray you will certainly stand out in the duck blind or at the sporting clays range or You'll have the coolest gun in the field, that's for darn sure. Uh, Pick your model, pick your retailer, watch a few videos from me. It's all at pointershotguns.com. Whether it's a side-by-side, a semi-auto, or an over-and-under, they've got something for everybody. Pointershotguns.com. And sageandbreaker.com is where you pick up all the stuff to store and clean your new shotgun and by the way the range bag back in stock all five star reviews if you're looking for another heirloom item for your shooting inventory there's one for you if you had a lot of ammo in there or a lot of well dog care stuff hey yeah just because it's called a range bag you can put whatever you want in there uh, sign up for the uh email list uh, you won't miss out on future sales fathers And new products for everybody. That's where I'm going to go next time I need a gift for one of my friends. It's all at sageandbreaker.com. Yeah, all of that uh, talk about libations after the hunt got me to thinking about sitting on the tailgate and relaxing at the end of a great hunt uh and uh, that got me to looking in the back of my truck and i was out there moving things around and get kind of restocking for fishing season if we ever get one the water's running so high everywhere but um i was looking around thinking you know i i really need to square away all my gear for hunting season. And I'm not going to talk about all the stuff I carry in the back of my truck, but I am going to just remind you now is the time to start coming up with a strategy. Yeah, place for everything and everything in its place. Uh, let's just talk about the doggy side of things and here's here's how I got everything arranged you know I'm lucky enough to have a canopy on the top of my pickup truck bed with windows that will open all the way on both sides so what I do is put all the things together that I'll need at any given time for a particular task for example the end of the day I'm gonna feed the dog all right so the dog's crate is reachable From right there I can open up one of the doors and put stuff in and out starting with the dog but his dog food is near the crate the supplements that I use are near the dog food which is near the water container which is near the bowl and then because quite often when you're somewhere you need a leash that leash is right near all that other stuff it just eliminates things to worry about all you're trying to do quite often especially on the road but especially at the beginning and the end of a hunt is make life simpler so that you don't have to check your list all the time mental or written down organize it so that everything is in the right place at the right time and um, life will be good again no matter how you shot on that hunt and that road trip message was brought to you by trulockchokes.com. Yeah, when I'm organizing my shooting stuff, my choke tubes are all right next to my shotguns, for example. And if you are wanting to learn more about how a good shotgun choke works, from start to finish, they'll take you to school. Just go to trulockchokes.com. Go to the Frequently Asked Questions. That's your beginning. And from there, just poke around. They've got over 2,000 different shotgun tubes for any shooting situation, any type of bird, and any type of shotgun. Learn more at trulockchokes.com. Will Todd Agnew at Craney Hills Kennels, thank you so much for being part of the Upland Nation podcast. Sure learn a lot every time we talk. Someday, maybe we'll meet. In the Grouse Woods. If you want to learn more about Todd, go to spanieltraining.com. If you want to learn more about how your peers think about stuff, whether it's how you celebrate a hunt or how you're training or hunting, visit one of our social platforms, Wing Shooting USA or Upland Nation Facebook pages, and now on Instagram and Twitter, of course. So watch for all of those. Thank you for participating in our online discussions. And those who left a rating or a review, I owe you one. Hope to see you in the woods sometime, or more than likely at the range. We are also made possible, and I thank all of our sponsors. Yeah, without them, we wouldn't be here. We, you and me, not the royal we. Uh, Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Purina Pro Plan Sport, Dog Food, Mid Valley Clays and Shooting School, Mid Valley clays.com, Trulockchokes.com and you know every week there's something new to read, study, view, or listen to at findbirdhuntingspots.com. Hope to see you there. Hope to have you back next time. Thanks for listening. I'm Scott Linden this has been the Upland Nation podcast.